ask you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as, uh, as we look at our passage this morning. And, and we're really focusing on, um, again, on it's, it's Ephesians 4, 11, 16, and the, the, the offices here, as we talked about, uh, about apostles and prophets and evangelists, the extraordinary gifts. Last time we're talking about the ordinary gifts of, of uh, shepherds and teachers. And so, again, we've read, we've read Ephesians 4.16 several times, but I'm really going to be focusing this morning on, on the gifts as we see them in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 to 38. So if you have a Bible in front of you there, I'd encourage you um, to turn to Acts chapter 17, sorry, Acts chapter 20, 17 to 38. Hear from the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that when the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the flock of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three days I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all that they, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Triune God. As we consider the operation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to save a people for you. 
As we think about the role that each member of, you, of the Trinity has, Father, you have called us, you have elected us from before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, you came willingly, joyfully to submit to all of the righteous requirements of the law and died as a lawbreaker that we might have new life in you. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you have guided us into this truth. You have regenerated our hearts and that you're now sanctifying us that we may grow in the reflection of the image of Christ. The body of Christ might be built up. And as we look at this passage, as we consider the roles of shepherd and, and teacher under the office of pastor and, and and further also, we, we, all of us, myself especially, I'm, I'm conscious of my weaknesses and my failings. Even of my failure to be able to communicate these things in any way that, that would make any change in anyone's life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take my weak words and apply them to the hearts of your people that we might all grow in, in an appreciation for the gifts that you have given to your church, that the church might be built up, securely grounded and founded on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with you, Lord Jesus Christ, as the cornerstone. I pray that the ministry of this pulpit would always remain faithful to your word, and we know that unless you do the work, it will not happen. We pray, Lord, that if you tarry that, that even the one who would follow me in this pulpit would also be faithful and that if it be your will that this church would remain faithful all the way until your return. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. I wouldn't exactly call myself a home handyman, but, but there are some things that, that I am able to do around the house without breaking them. But there's two areas that I steer clearly away from, and that's plumbing and electrical work. We know what it's like to have a flood. It wasn't my fault, but we know as a family, we're, we're just now back in our basement after, after a flood at Christmas time. But I know that, that I don't want that to happen again, so I stay away and I, I call a professional. I call Warren and he comes and does a great job of, of keeping us above water. I'm also concerned about electrical work. I, I know what faulty electrical, electrical work can do. I know it can easily burn your house down with faulty wiring. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen the show Homes on Homes. Former contractor Mike Holmes the show is, is off the air now, but he used to go into homes where either the, the homeowner or a dodgy contractor made a mess of a home during, doing a, a shoddy renovation. And he, he's dealt with issues like, like live wires hidden inside walls and even electrical wires running alongside gas lines. Now, I know enough to know it's not a good idea. It's a recipe for disaster. You can have a home that is built on a, on a solid foundation, but shoddy workmanship or, or improper maintenance can destroy a home. 
You may have heard of, of Westminster Chapel in London. This is different from Westminster Cathedral. West, Westminster Chapel in London was famously pastored by Martin Lloyd-Jones, arguably one of the greatest preachers in the, in the 20th century. He was a pastor there for over 30 years, almost 40 years. And Martin Lloyd-Jones followed a long line of, of godly, faithful preachers, including G. Campbell Morgan and John Henry Jowett. And these men worked hard to build the church on the foundation of the Word of God. But sadly, today, Westminster Chapel is far from what it once was. And this can largely be attributed to the work of one man. Now, I don't normally, I do occasionally, but, but calling out individuals from the pulpit, but this, this man is in a... You may, have, you may know his name. It's R.T. Kendall. A very well-known preacher. You see, Kendall threw the doors of Westminster Chapel wide open to the charismatic movement. And not just to the charismatic movement, but to the particularly unbiblical aspects of the charismatic movement. He invited false teachers like John Wimber and Paul Kane to preach at the church. He openly endorsed the Toronto blessing and does so to this day. And I listened just yesterday to a, to a testimony of why he embraces the Toronto blessing and his, his justification is not biblical. He doesn't measure it according to scripture. It's just based on his experience. And I warned, I warned this before. When we look at, at, at the, the things like the charismatic gifts, we need to, in fact, all of life, we need to not form, formulate our opinions based on opinion and on experience, but on the Word of God. And we must interpret all of our experience and form all of our opinions through the Word of God. You see, one of the key problems with, with much of the, the charismatic movement is that it leads people away from a reliance on the inerrancy and, and authority and sufficiency of Scripture. And that's exactly what happened at Westminster Chapel. We'll talk about this more when we look at the sign gifts. But Kendall's teaching led to a split at Westminster Chapel, and the, the offense was, was so great that even though he and Martin Lloyd-Jones had been close friends, that, that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was, was like a mentor, had been like a mentor to him, that when Lloyd-Jones was dying, he said they did not want Kendall to have any part at his funeral. One man can do a great deal of damage to a church no matter how solid the foundation is. And the damage that Kendall did is obvious, but the damage done by some pastors is not immediately evident. It will be one day. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 3 that the day will disclose it. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. Let me read it for you. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The work that anyone has built on the foundation, if the work that is, anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so with his focus on, on the charismatic gifts, Kendall was trying to build the church on wood, hay, and stubble. 
whereas Martin Lloyd-Jones and those who had come before had established the solid foundation of reliance on the apostles and the prophets on the scriptures with Jesus Christ as a cornerstone. And then R.T. Kendall came along and undermined it. The church has never been the same since. Now it's possible for a church to be revitalized. It's possible for a church to, to get back on track. I, I've seen it happen several times. But, but it's a lot easier to do catastrophic damage to a church than to repair it. Like me, if I mess with the electrical wires, it's a lot easier for me to burn my house down than it is for me to, to, to do proper electrical work in my home. What a sledgehammer destroys in seconds, a framing hammer takes much longer and more skill to repair. You don't need much skill for demolition, but repair requires spiritual gifting. Church revitalization takes a lot of, of sweat and, and tears, but it always starts with a return to the Word of God. Now the Lord may revitalize Westminster Chapel. I pray that He does. And if He doesn't, it will be tragic. But we need to acknowledge the fact that, that local churches come and go. Just think of the, the seven churches in the, the, letter, the letters to the churches in Revelation. Not one of those seven churches exists anymore. Even the ones that were more solid. Local churches come and go, but only the universal church will remain. Local churches go as their shepherds and their teachers go. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Who we're going to be talking about this morning. Shepherds and teachers. Again, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the building up of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So last time we focused, we focused on the, the foundational offices of apostles and prophets and evangelists that Christ gave to the church in its foundation. Remember we talked about how apostles, capital A apostles, and capital P prophets, capital E evangelists, were, were given a special role on the foundation of the church, for the establishment of the church. And, and I believe that, that men can still operate in some of those gifts, but those offices as they existed in, in the book of Acts, no longer continue. That they cannot continue, as he talked about, because the, the, you can't have the qualifications of those offices anymore. So the, these, these offices of apostle and prophet and evangelist are described as extraordinary offices, and that they do not continue. But shepherds and teachers, however, do continue. They continue to this day. And they have, we have, the responsibility to build on the foundation. Shepherding and teaching describe the key responsibilities of the pastor. The ordinary office of the pastor. It's ordinary because it still continues. Now there's another vitally important ordinary office, that of the deacon. And we're going to be focusing on the office of deacons more when we look at the serving gifts of helping and giving, showing mercy and service. So again, this morning we're going to be talking about ordinary pastors. And the pastor that you have before you this morning is an ordinary pastor, a very ordinary pastor. And, and Pastor Joshua would say, would say the same thing about himself. That he's a very ordinary pastor. But in case you're, you're tempted to, 
tune this out as irrelevant or to dismiss it as a plug for Pastor Appreciation Day, just remember that Christ gave this gift to you. Christ gave this gift to you. Warts and all, Pastor Joshua and I are Christ's gift to you. Christ has called us, Christ has commanded us to serve you through the ministry of the word and prayer, to shepherd your soul as those who will give an account. Hebrews 13, 17. This, this, if you just reflect on this, this past week, this, this really blows me away that through us, Christ is caring for you. And so, so my prayer is that the Lord will use this message to help to motivate you, to motivate you to pray for us. And you get the blessing as you do that. I know that many of you do faithfully pray for us, and I thank you and I praise God for that. But I ask if you would continue and, and press into the Lord even, even more deeply for us. We covet your prayers. My prayer is also that the Lord will, will use this to, to motivate you to pray that the Lord will raise up more men as elders to serve here. And that, that we as a church can send out missionaries and can send out church planters and, and church revitalizers and, and other, other parts of, of the city, other parts of, of, of this country and, and around the world. So when, we, when we think about these, these two roles of shepherd and teacher, we're talking about the ordinary office of the pastor. And so what is the main duty of a pastor? Well, D.A. Carson and, and John Woodbridge describe what a, a pastor is expected to be in the 21st century. The modern pastor is expected to be a preacher, counselor, administrator, PR guru, fundraiser, and handholder. Depending on the size of the church he serves, he may also have to be an expert on youth, something of an accountant, a janitor, evangelist, small groups expert, an excellent chair of committees, a team player, and a transparent leader. Now, now some of these are biblical and, and some of them aren't. And I realize that I fall short on all of them. But Paul has enumerated the two most important duties for pastors in Ephesians 4.11, shepherding and teaching. Shepherding and teaching. Now, as I read Acts 20, 17 following to you this morning, it, I really wanted to draw out some, some key focal points on this, this, these roles of, of shepherding and teaching here from, from Acts 20. Now, this is not going to be a detailed exposition of this passage. That can wait until we get there um, in our studies of Acts, Lord willing, in, in the next few weeks. So I just want to pick up on a couple of key points from this passage, or a few key points from this passage as it applies to our studies of the spiritual gifts of shepherds and teachers. Now, when we look at, at the book of Acts, we need to remember that it's a narrative. Okay, and, and as a narrative, not all of it is 
prescriptive. Not all of it is, is a direct command. This is, is a description of what took place. Now, in order to, to determine and to establish what, whether this is an ongoing command, you need to consider the immediate context and the broader context. And we'll see that, that several of the things here, the ones we're going to focus on, are direct commands, that of, of shepherding and teaching and, and the implications of that. There are clear duties of, of shepherds and teachers in this passage. And this passage is, is, is particularly helpful for our study of the, the spiritual gifts because we witness the succession from apostolic ministry to pastoral ministry. As the Apostle Paul is, is passing the baton the, to, to the, the elders of Ephesus. And, and we see that this is, this is really uh, not just descriptive, but, but normative for, for the, the, the way that the, the way that the the elders are to carry on the work of the apostles. So in Acts 20, verses 17 and following, we, we have Paul's farewell to the, 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 to the Ephesian church and specifically to the elders of the church in Ephesus. The apostle Paul has been ministering to this church for over two years. He knew this church well. And he, he loved this church intimately. He loved these people deeply. And he knew that he would never see them again alive. He was never going to see them again in this life. And so, so these, are, these are Paul's last directly spoken. We, we'll write a letter to the, the church in Ephesus as well. But, but, but this is Paul's words to the, the church, to these elders. So he gathers these elders and, and reminds them in verse 18 of his ministry among them, serving the Lord with, with humility and tears and trials. See those, those three things. How Paul served them with humility and tears and trials. Now Paul here, he's not looking for a pat on the back. What he's doing is he's highlighting the example that they are to follow. He's saying, I have served, I have served you with humility and tears and trials, and you are to serve the church with humility and tears and trials. I've shed tears for this church. I've shed tears for you. Again, nowhere close to the example of the Apostle Paul, or even perhaps of the Ephesian elders. I hope I've served with humility. I'm, I'm sure that there's many times that I haven't. I trust that the, the, the trials that, that I have experienced, that we've experienced as a family, have also ministered to you as, as we've offered you the comfort that we have received from God in our trials. And these are key ways that, that we serve, that we shepherd the flock. Again, I'm not, this is, this is exemplary. This is what we're to do. This is what I want you to pray for, for us. So he's saying here that, that, you need, that these elders need to these elders need to shepherd the flock. Okay, he, he describes the ministry is ministry in the word among them in, in verses twenty and twenty one. And ministry in the word is is the the primary role and responsibility of a pastor, and not just of apostles but of pastors. And, and you can't really separate 
shepherding from teaching because you can't shepherd without teaching, you can't teach without shepherding. But there's some specific focus in, in all those great overlap, there's some specific focus in each command, and we'll see that as we go along. There are three Greek words that are used to describe the men who are given spiritual oversight of the church, and they are translated elder and overseer and pastor, and they're, they're essentially interchangeable. But as McCarthy, as MacArthur explains, elders emphasize the maturity of the individual who's called to lead, and it's an official title of the office. Bishop or overseer emphasizes their function of leadership. Pastor emphasizes the role to teach and to feed. And so again, these, these terms are really used interchangeably in Acts chapter 20. They speak of the same people. Likewise, I believe they speak of the same people in Ephesians 4.11. There's some that say that, that it's, it's not pastors and teachers, but pastor teachers, that there's a hyphen between them. But I think it's, there's an emphasis of different elements of the, this, and, the same, and the same office of pastor. So first then, let's focus on shepherding. Let's focus on shepherding. Here I'm going to focus mainly on Acts 20, 28. Let me just read it for us again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now this, this term here, flock, is meant to remind you of shepherds. And, and this, this pay careful attention is, is, to think of, is to make you think of the, the shepherd's care for the flock. So he says, first of all, again, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And, and so first of all, notice he says, keep a close watch on yourselves. You can't care for others spiritually if you're not caring for yourself spiritually. And I'm not talking about going to a spa. I'm talking about caring yourself by practicing regular spiritual discipline to make sure that, that you are, are walking in obedience to the word of God. And only then will you be able to shepherd others. So first of all, pay careful attention to, your, to yourself. Make sure that you are walking in, in right doctrine that, and that by God's grace that your, your life is living in correspondence with that doctrine. Again, this is, this is the standard. I'm, I know I fall short of these things. We all do, but, but this is what we're to strive for. And as, as an elder, this is what, what my life must be characterized by. Or I'm disqualified as a pastor. I can no longer be a pastor. So we need to watch, pay careful attention over your life and your doctrine. Similarly, in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So watching your life and your doctrine. James 3.1, we'll talk a bit about this later on, but but James 3.1 says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Greater strictness. Now, we're as, as teachers, we are judged by the same standard, but with greater strictness. There, there, is, there is more culpability. Because as a, as a shepherd, if you're leading people astray through your shepherding, then you're not just taking yourself down, you're taking others down with you. So again, we know that we, should, we all need to strive against sin, but, but this is, we, pastors need to be exemplary in this. 
pray for me in this, that, that, that I will fight against sin tooth and nail with the Holy Spirit's strength within me, that, that by the, the work of the Spirit, I will kill the flesh. Pray the same for Pastor Joshua. When you, when you see a weakness in me, and, and one of the benefits of, of, a, of a small church is that, is that you know me and I know you, and, and there's times that, that, that you're going to see my weaknesses. There's times I'm going to sin against you. Please, when that happens, first of all, talk to God. Pray for me in these things. And then talk to me. And then talk to me. And if, if, if I persist in sin, then take witnesses, and I need to be removed from this church. But, but don't talk to others. In fact, don't do this about each other as well. Be, be wary. Be very, very wary of the danger of gossip and a root, a root of bitterness that can, can defile many. And furthermore, and again, I'm not, I, I'm not really looking for, for pats on the back, but, but where, you, where you see evidences of grace in my life, praise God for it. And, and tell me, deal with each other as well. See, you know, God is glorified in you when you and that way, it's, it's God gets the glory because I know it's him, it's not me. And do that for each other as well. Be intentional to look for evidences of grace in one another to, to build each other up. But you know what encourages me even more than, than when you encourage me for the growth that you see? It's when you encourage me with your growth. You know, you, you have... Speaking very frankly here, you have a lot of, of ability to encourage and to discourage a pastor. Now, you, you please don't ever do this prim primarily because of me. I, like, I'm so far down the list. Do this because of God and your own, your own walk and your own witness. But you have a great ability to, to encourage me as you, as you grow in the knowledge of God and in sound doctrine and walking out that doctrine, that, that stuff for me as a pastor, that's why I'm a pastor. This, this is, that's the, the, when you walk in this way, you're, the, you're like the wind in my sails. But at the same time, to the extent that you don't do this, when, when, when people hold on to, to, to heterodoxy, to false teaching, when they get distracted, when they walk in unrepentant sin. That sucks the life out of me as a pastor. And so be aware of that. Ephesians, or rather, Hebrews 13, 17 says, so, and I, this, I'm not trying to be self-serving here. This is the word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I will give an account for your soul before God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. As I said, this is, there's some self-serving in this as well. As, as, you, as you pray for me and as, as you, in, in the way that you live your life, encourage me, it helps me to be a better pastor. Now, by God's grace and his providence, I, I grow through your failings too. 
as I learned patience and, and humility. But, but this is, please, please consider this in your own life. As shepherds, we are to shepherd all the flock. All the flock. This is not a flock of seagulls. It's a flock of sheep. It's a flock of sheep. In John 21, 15 and 17, I know Jesus is speaking to, to the, the apostle, to the, sorry, Jesus is speaking to the apostle John, but, but he says three times, he says, feed my lamb, my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. This, this is, again, this is, these sheep are Christ's. They're his sheep. You are his sheep. You're not my sheep. You belong to him. And I am commanded to shepherd you. Now we talk with the, with the kids about, about sheep and they're, they're easily lost. They're, they're easily led astray. And apparently sheep can't smell water. So that they depend, like many animals can smell water, but sheep can't. So the, they, they depend on, on shepherds to actually guide them to, to clean water. Sheep get dirty. Everything sticks to them. Sticks, mud, even worse. They, they need the, the, the shepherd to care for them. You know, sheep, instead of running away from trouble, they huddle together. They're like, the wolf is like, oh, this is a smorgasbord. They, they can't defend themselves. John MacArthur asked whether the Lord just made sheep to make a spiritual point. And again, I put myself in that category as well. We're all sheep. And here the, the, the pastor, the shepherd, is, co- is, co- is told to care for all the flock. Now, now, there are, are some sheep that will take up the majority of your time. When, when I was a teacher, we had a class, when a class full of kids, and this is a rough average, we see about, about 20% of the, of the students would take 80% of my time. But 20% would take 80% of my attention. Just the way it is. They, whether it's behavior issues or, or whether you're just trying to keep Billy from attacking Davy with a stapler, or kids who who really struggle with, with learning issues. And, and that's a, as, a, as a teacher, you know, as a, as a school teacher, that, that really, I really didn't mind when a student was, was struggling but eager to learn. I was, I was happy to do that. There's also students that just slip through the cracks if you're not vigilant. And it's really it's the same in churches. There are, are some people who are more demanding of time. There, there's some people that, that go through life traveling from one crisis to the next and Hey, that's job security for me. And I, I, I count it a privilege to walk with people through, through crisis, to sit down and, and cry with people and to, to share God's word with people and to, to pray with people. And even when people are, are difficult, I said it's... it's there's going to be, we're going to grow. We all are going to need to grow. We all need to grow. I remember there was one lady, an elderly lady who I used to, to visit regularly, and she was, was quite old and, and frail, and she had chronic pain, and there, she had no family to care for her. 
And she used to call me several times a week. I really didn't mind because she had nobody else. And I remember one Saturday, I was, I was very busy, and, and when she called, I was trying to help her, and she hung up on me. And then she called me back later in the day to tell me to complain that, that she was, was too hot in her thermal underwear. And this was, this was April. And I said, well, maybe you could put away the thermal underwear. She wouldn't listen, and, and she said she didn't want to do that until May the 1st. Okay. But then she called me back again a little while later to tell me that a, another lady from the church had suggested that she put away the thermal underwear, and she did. But then I spoke to her at church on the, the following Sunday, and she said she'd, she'd tried putting away the thermal underwear, and the, it was too cold for her. Again, this is, this is part of the privilege of, of being a pastor, to, to shepherd people and to care for people, even to, to shepherd the, the whole flock of God, even when it comes to thermal underwear. But we have to understand that there, there are some people in the church that, that pastors are going to just naturally connect with. So, you know, if, 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 you're, a, if you're a hockey fan, then, then I can, you know, connect with you about those things. But there's no other Ottawa Senators fans here, probably in this, in this city, well, very few anyway. But, but, but there's natural connection points. But we, but, and, and where we, you know, similar demographics, similar stage of life, family issues and things like that, there's a natural connection point. But... But we don't have the privilege of caring for just a few people. It's for the, the whole flock. And, and again, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that, 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 there's, that, that I fall short in this. And so one of the things that, that Pastor Joshua and I are in the process of, of implementing is, is systematic visitation. Again, there's people that, that have, there's challenges that people face in life, and we need to minister in, in, in those contexts. But for the, for the people that are, are not experiencing challenges, to talk about, about how they're going and, and and, and how the spiritual walk is going in their family life. And so we've begun to, to meet with, with people systematically through the whole congregation. Their plan is doing it together over the, this year, so we'll, we'll visit through everybody. And then the plan is we'll, we'll probably divide up next year, and, and so we'll, we'll go, through, go through the church uh, at least a couple times a year. Very intentionally. It's, we're motivated in this from, by Richard Baxter's uh, book, The Reformed Pastor. Spending time with everybody in the church, not just talking about the weather or, or hockey or even about aches and pains, but about the state of their eternal soul. So you have to care for the church. To care for the church of God. Now we're to admonish those who are in sin, 2 Timothy 24-26. We're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And that, that's going to... to, to to come at times that it's going to mean coming alongside and challenging about something in your life that, that is, is, not, is not right, either doctrinally or, or practically. We're to, to exercise oversight. We're to guard against division. This is what it means to care for the church, to lead in a, in a loving relationship. Peter speaks about this as well in 1 Peter 5. Verse 2, it's... it's it's the flock, it's God's flock, it's the church of God. And when the, the, the chief shepherd appears, he's, he's going to call us to account for, for our shepherding. We need to remember that, that the church is God's church, which he has purchased with his own blood. Which God has purchased with his own blood, with the blood of Christ. With the blood of Christ, he has purchased his church. He owns each one of us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 You are not your own, you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Verse 20. 
And the context of 1 Peter 5 is, is, suffering, is suffering trials because of your faith and, and under unrighteous authorities. And we need to be careful as, as shepherds that, that, we are, that, we are not, that we're not domineering over the flock, but leading by example as, as much as possible. So again, this is the blood of Christ. This church has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so we strive by God's grace to shepherd you and pray for us that we will grow in our shepherding so that you will, will grow as, as sheep into the image of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who makes overseers. Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. So this is the Apostle Paul, but it's, it's transferable to, to pastors that, that we struggle, we strive to, to proclaim Christ, to warn everyone, to teach everyone with wisdom, with all wisdom, present everyone mature and we toy with this struggling with God's energy right it's it's not ultimately our energy but but Christ's energy through the power of the Holy Spirit similarly Ephesians 2 10 that we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared in advance that we should walk in them and John 15 5 apart from from Jesus we could do nothing I can't do anything so pray for me pray for Pastor Joshua we have not been, been made overseers by church vote, even though that is the, the mechanism by which we have come into this, this office. But we're here because the Holy Spirit has called us. And we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us for this role. And so we all, you and I, have a responsibility to pray that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us in this role for God's glory, for the building of his church. So now, and we'll do this, talk about this a little bit more briefly, but, but we want to go back up to verses 20 and 21. Acts 20 and 21, where Paul says, How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes back to talk about this a couple of times in this passage. The foundation is the word of God with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. The gospel is the core to everything. The gospel is the core. I am commanded to preach the gospel to unbeliever and believer alike. We all need the gospel. You and I need the gospel today. We all need to be reminded of the death of Christ for our sins today. And every day you need to remind each other of the gospel today and every day. Our teaching needs to be in accordance, in 100% agreement with the Word of God. You know, the, in, the, in the book, um, Nine Marks of, of a Healthy Church, which is an excellent book, and I would commend it to you, the really, the, the first mark is, is related to expository preaching, and in this, it's a foundation on the Word of God. But, but I really, I would... Again, I couldn't presume to do better than, than Mark Dever on this, but, but I, would, I would think that, that there should be 12 marks of a healthy church. The expository preaching is, yes, it's vitally important, but, but, but a, a ministry needs to be grounded on the inerrancy 
authority and sufficiency of God's word. Okay, the, the inerrancy. There, there are no mistakes in the original manuscripts of the Bible. It is 100% from Genesis to Revelation inerrant. There are no errors. If there, if there is, there are apparent paradoxes, but no inconsistencies in the word of God. No mistakes. And likewise, the authority for, for everything in, in life and godliness, the, the word of God is our authority, our only authority. The, the church is not our authority. The scriptures are our authority. Our own opinions are not the authority. The scriptures are the authority. And similarly, sufficiency. We don't need to add to the Word of God. Everything that we need for life and godliness is given to us in the Word of God by direct command or by application. And I think these warrant, this warrants, these should be three marks in my opinion. John Owen declared that the first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by the diligent preaching of the Word. And he is no pastor who doth not feed his flock flock. If I do not feed you from the word of God, both from the pulpit and individually from house to house, I am not a shepherd. Pray for me that I will stand firm in the word of God and that I will teach you in the word of God. Pray that God will raise up more men to be elders in this church who will walk in the same path. A teacher is one who explains the scriptures and then applies the scriptures to people's lives. It's the central and vital ministry of the church. It's the reason we're here today. And once again, not, not all who, who hold, not all who teach hold the office of a teacher. Okay, there are others who teach in the church who are not formally pastors. Many of us perform a teaching role in the church, but, but we can't all to be said to, to hold that office. Anthony Thistleton does a good job of distinguishing between the role of, of a prophet and that of a teacher. And again, we talked about the prophets that was, was for the foundation of the church. But now the pastors continue in, in, in following their footsteps by teaching the word of God. He says, prophets perform speech acts of announcement, proclamation, judgment, challenge, comfort, support, or encouragement, whereas teachers perform speech acts of transmission, communicative explanation, interpretation of texts, establishment of creeds, exposition of meaning and implication, and more cognitive, less temporally applied communicative acts. So what he's saying here is that there was a, an authoritative sense in which the, the prophets acted and wit in which teachers do not act. Again, the, the, the authority comes not from my attitudes or my opinions or my, or my thinking, but from the Word of God. I'm communicating truths that, that, that yes, I've adopted and believe, but, but it's the Word of God is the authority, not me. Again, in the office of, of teacher, there's, there's a large, it overlaps a large degree with, with pa the pastoral office of, of, of elders and, and bishops and overseers. Again, all are used interchangeably, describing the same office. We need to acknowledge that, that all pastors must be teachers. There, there's a requirement and a qualification for an elder to be able to teach, but not all teachers are pastors. Right? So men who are not necessarily pastors can lead small groups and, and Bible studies and Sunday school. Women can teach other women and children. Now on this 
Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. So women can be gifted as teachers, but the, the only legitimate sphere of operation for, for a woman to teach is to teach other women or to teach children. It's not that, there, there'd be women in this church that are, are equally, if not more gifted as a teacher than me. But gifting does not mean that, that women are now authorized according to the word of God to teach men. And to do so is a denial of inerrancy, authority, sufficiency, or all three. But it's not just people who are formally teaching in, in groups and whatnot. All church members are commanded to teach one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of, God, of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So teachers and pastors alike explain and apply Scripture to their hearers. As Paul t says it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And here you see the succession from the apostles' office to the pastoral office as, as Timothy serves as an elder in the church and then he is to identify other elders in the church. And again, as I referred to earlier, James 3, that not many should become teachers. My brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Again, the same standard but greater strictness. And so we, we are very careful about who teaches. And so here in, the, in, this, in this church, we have our, our doctrinal standard of membership, which is our, our church's statement of faith, but we also have the, the 1689 London Baptist Confession as our teaching standard. So our teaching corresponds with the London Baptist Confession. But it's not just doctrinal, it's, it's that... that it's, it's, as we've said many times, it's pretty easy to have right doctrine. You just need to listen to right preachers and read the right books. It's, it's a lot harder to walk in accordance with that doctrine to any degree. Now maybe, maybe you perceive that, that you have the gift of teaching. And if you're right, praise God for that. You know, one of the, the purposes here of, of walking through the spiritual gifts is to help each one of us to identify those gifts and to, to begin to, to practice those gifts. And so that we have, have several opportunities in the church for, for people who, who feel they're, they're gifted in teaching. And, and even for those who are perhaps not yet quite aware that they're, they're gifting, but they want to explore that. We want to walk with you and to, and to help you to, to grow in, in those things. You know, in the past, and we'll do this again before long, we'll have, we, we'll bring the men together to study hermeneutics in order to, and, and give the opportunities to, to teach in, in that context in order to be able to identify men who are gifted as teachers and, and some, we trust, will come and, and preach. We've had this happen in the past and we'd look forward to doing it again. The ability to teach is, is a gift to the church because the church needs to understand and to apply God's word correctly. Again, the, the church will go as its shepherds and teachers go. And the ability to teach is, is a gift to the individual because, because no man can rightly understand the word of God 
or, or teach its proper application unless God empowers them to do so. And so, so we see it as a gift to the individual, but ultimately it comes back to the church. So once again, pray for me. As you, you know, we do expositional preaching, and we're going to get back and, and, and dive into to Acts here in a few weeks. Pray for me in my studies. That I will rightly interpret, and then that will rightly apply Acts. Pray for those who, who teach the, in the ladies' Bible studies and, and the, the men's Bible study when they begin in the fall, and those who teach Sunday school. Those who, who lead in the, in the care groups, pray for them. And pray for all of us is that we will submit to the teaching of God's Word as it corresponds with the Word of God. Pray that the Holy Spirit will, will empower the teachers and empower us to bear fruit in keeping with the Word of God. As I close, I just want to share a brief excerpt from D.A. Carson from D.A. Carson's biography of his dad. He pastored in the, the eastern townships of Quebec. The book is called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. Let me just read. This is the close of the book. So D.A. Carson speaking of his dad. Tom Carson never rose very far in denominational structures, but hundreds of people in the Udaway and beyond testified to how much he loved them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace was never enough. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there's no text that says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you are good administrators. I'm thankful for that. His, journal, his journals have many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition, but his children and grandchildren remember his laughter. Only rarely did he break through his pattern of reserve and speak deeply and intimately with his children, but he modeled Christian virtues for them. He preferred to, to avoid controversy than to stir things up, but his own commitments to historic confessionalism were unyielding, and in ethics he was a man of principle. His own ecclesiastical circles were rather small and narrow, but his reading was correspondingly large and expansive. He was not very good at putting people down except on his prayer lists. When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in Parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, the trumpet sounded. Dad won entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or great man, he was, after all, a most ordinary pastor, but because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him whom he had longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Brothers and sisters, please pray for me to be that ordinary. And pray that the Lord will raise up more ordinary pastors in his body. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you. So we think specifically, Lord Jesus, how you have given gifts to the church. 
for the foundation of the church in the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and for the building up of the church in shepherds and teachers. Lord Jesus, we praise you that this church, this little local church, is your church. It doesn't belong to me or to any one of us, but it belongs to you. Lord, we pray that you would help this church to be built up well in submission to you and to your holy word. Please help me, please help Pastor Joshua to be faithful in our ministry in this body as those who will give an account. Please raise up more men to lead in the office of pastor. Please raise up more teachers. Help us to know that we all have a responsibility to teach one another from your word. Help us, Lord, as a church to be grounded and built up in your word for the glory of your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.